Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Lots of fun in technology, as always. Coming up on today's show, it's Easter weekend, and we're going to talk about the science of Easter egg dye. Okay, this is a very important study that came out. They have now determined that women's pockets are actually too small for cell phones. Somebody actually studied I, yeah, it. Yeah, I, I I would believe that. Yes. Yeah, they studied that, and now and now we'll we'll give we'll give the real the real data. And of course, this week we're going to feature somebody who's very interesting, suggested by one of our uh, listeners. We're going to feature the man who started Open Street Maps, Steve Coast. And we, of course, had a huge, huge mailbag. Mr. Big Voice, get There's in There's a letter in and your mailbox. Well, goes. the streak has ended. The yeah. Cal Ripken streak has ended. It's not. It's a shame. Yeah. Uh, we got an email from James Messick. Dear Doc and Jim, I have a Profiles in IT suggestion. Steve Coast, who founded OpenStreetMaps. I'm a longtime listener, James Messick. Well, James, that was a great suggestion, and we are going to feature Steve Coast on today's show. Uh, we got an email from Feroz in Fredericksburg. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard a lot about 5G cellular. What is it? When will it be deployed? Love the show. We listen to the live stream over Amazon Echo. Feroz in Fredericksburg. Well, Feroz, at the end of 2017, the wireless industry finally came up with the official 5G standard. They really couldn't release anything until the standard had been finalized. Now, 5G, that's fifth generation cellular. Is focused on three things. Higher speed, so you can move more data. Lower latency, so you don't have, so it's more responsive. Latency is a delay in the packets moving through the network. And also the ability to connect more devices at the same time, because we have so many devices that we all want to keep active because of the Internet and things. Now, the standard bodies are targeting cell phone downloads download speeds of 20 gigabits per second. That's what they're shooting for with a 1 millisecond latency. So that would be a pretty a pretty high-performance network for your cell phone. Now, the 5G networks use a different type of encoding. They use OFDM, orthogonal frequency division multiplexing. It's uh, similar to, uh, to uh, other types of encoding, but it allows you to, to pack more devices uh, using uh, using the same um, uh, cell tower, so you can you can actually have more devices. You can get you can get more um, more uh, higher bandwidth with ODF, OFDM. Now, 5G also will use unlicensed frequencies that are currently allocated for Wi-Fi. So it will see if there's those frequencies are not being used by any you know any near nearby Wi-Fi hotspots, and it will just dynamically use that bandwidth when it's available. 
Sometimes if there's a millimeter wave, unlicensed millimeter wave bandwidth available, just pop over and use it. So it's going to try to grab as much bandwidth as it can in order to get the throughput there. Now, also, the 5G network is going to have smaller cells. Instead of seeing these giant cells on, on big towers that really transmit long distances, you're going to see a higher density of cells. It's more like a, more like a, like a Wi-Fi router, and, 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 and the range will only be about 1,000 feet. And so if you have a high density of cells like that, it means that you can have more cell phones operating with high bandwidth. And so the only way to conserve the bandwidth per device is to make it a smaller cell so you have fewer devices on that cell, yet because you have a higher density of cells, you can have more cell phones. So those are the basic differences that it has. AT&T has announced it will launch... 5G in 12 cities at the end of this year. And uh, AT&T is definitely using the millimeter band as part of their 5G. And uh, and they're also using dense uh, a dense network of cells, of 1,000-foot cells. Verizon is going to start u- uh, launching 5G um, at the end of this year, but they're only going to do it initially for home service, they're, they're going to provide 5G to compete directly with the cable companies. And they'll be able to give more bandwidth than the cable companies can with cable. And this is good news for the user because more than half the people only have one provider that can give more than 20 gigabits per second and there's just no competition. Now we'll have some competition and maybe some price wars will go on and we'll get a nice battle there. Now, Verizon is then going to follow with a mobile 5G network in 2019. And actually, I don't really know whether any of the mobile 5G networks are going to really be active until 2019 because the cell phones, the 5G cell phones, are not coming out till 2019. So there's not much use for it until the cell phones come out. T-Mobile is building a nationwide 5G network. They're using 600 megahertz band for their 5G network, and then when they move into the cities and they need to get, and they've got higher density, they're going to switch over and use some of the, some of the millimeter wave bands, and they're going to use some of the, some of the Wi-Fi bands. So uh, I think this 5G is, uh, is really quite good. Uh, I think it's really a nice application for the home. I don't know what difference it's going to make for cell phones, because I don't really need that much more bandwidth on my cell phone. I don't know what the real advantage is there. There are many people that have been studying uh, these self-driving cars. They think the slow latency may be very important for self-driving cars, so it may be a big really? application for self-driving cars. Huh. We got an email from Alex in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I'd like to check whether a few images that I have found on the web have been stolen from somebody else. How can I do that? Enjoy the podcast, Alex in Fairfax. Well, Alex, you got two ways to check whether an image has been stolen. Uh, you can look at the metadata, which is embedded in the image. Now, the metadata frequently has copyright information. It might have the uh, the, the, ca- the camera that we use, the GPS location. It could have the photographer's name. There's a lot of information in the metadata that's stored there that basically is information about the photograph that is stored with the photograph. And you can actually get a metadata viewer uh, many of the operating systems have built-in metadata viewers. You, you can actually go to uh, Metapix, Metapix Z, M-E-T-A-P-I-C-Z. This is a, this is an online meta meta file viewer, and you can just paste in the the link to that uh, 
to that image, and it will display all the metadata. And you can see whether the metadata that's there matches up with the page that it's on, and that will give you a clue as to whether it's been stolen. Now, it's very easy, though, to strip out the metadata. I, I, can, I can take a picture, put it into a program, and I can strip out all the metadata. And so if somebody's really stealing pictures and they don't want you to de detect it, they're going to post it without metadata, so that's not going to help you. So then there are other techniques that you can use, and, and in this case, you can use reverse image search. So Google has it and Bing has it, and you can, you can put the image, you can upload the image to Google or to Bing to their rever reverse image search, and they'll search the web, and they'll give you instances where that image has shown up on the web. Even if the images might have been cropped or their, their shades are done, the Google one really works well. So you could through the reverse image uh, image search to see whether the image is showing up any place else in the web, and that could give you clues to whether it's stolen. That's the pretty much the extent of what you can do with that particular challenge. We got an email from Joan in Springfield. Dear Tech Talk, I've heard about bone conducting headphones. Are they the next great technology, or is that just a gimmick? It's in pretty cool, actually, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I enjoy the podcast, Joan of Springfield. Well, you, Joan, this is where, where they're useful. Often you'll find yourselves in a situation where you need to be aware of your surroundings. Like, like suppose you're walking in traffic. And if you've got big earphones that just cover your ears, you can't hear any of the, any of the, any of the uh, surrounding noise. But if you have bone-conducting um, earphones, your ears are not blocked, so you can hear her. If somebody's honking a horn at you so you don't step in front of the traffic. Or if there's a bread truck bearing down on you. Or if there's a bread truck, yeah. So so bone conducting, what they do, your of course, your uh, your ear responds to vibration. In regular earphones, they'll put uh, vibrations through the air channel in your ear, and then goes back to the cochlea, and that vibrates, and then you hear the sound transmitted through the air. But... The, uh, but the sound can also, vibrations can also be detected by the ear. So you can actually have an earphone that actually will vibrate against the bones in your head, and that vibration will be transmitted directly to the ear, and you'll hear it. Now, it won't be quite as loud as just a regular earphone, and, and the quality won't be quite as good because you're hearing background noise, but... But it serves a it serves a good purpose, and also the low frequencies are not going to be transmitted quite as well. Now there are a couple of options. You've got after Shokes Trex Air, and that is about one hundred and fifty dollars. It's kind of the top end one, and that 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 has a it has a battery lifetime of about twenty hours. It runs on Bluetooth four point two. That would be the Cadillac of them, one fifty. If you want to get a budget wireless one, you could do the Vidon F1 Titanium. That's around $70, and uh, that, that uses Bluetooth 4.1, and it's got about six hours of, uh, of, of playback time. Now, if you, if you don't care about wireless, you want to just get a wired, a wired, uh, uh, a wired, uh, a wired bone conducting headphone, you could get after Stokes Sports Titanium. That's only fifty dollars. It's a wired handset, but I'm, I'm thinking you're not going to want a wired handset. So, it was a good question. But if you want super high quality audio, you really want to use just a regular headset and not a bone conducting one. We got an email from Mary Margaret in Kansas. I've been using Chrome for quite a while because it's more secure. But now all of a sudden, my Chrome browser keeps saying that all these websites are not secure. What what's going on? What what happened to all these websites? Love the podcast. 
Mary Margaret in Kansas. Well, starting with Chrome version 68, Mary Margaret, Google Chrome decided to label all websites that were not HTTPS, in, in other words, which did not use secure socket layer, they just listed them as not secure. Really nothing changed. They just decided to declare them not secure because they would like everybody on the web to start using HTTPS. Then then Chrome, if it's an HTTPS um, uh, website, which uses the secure socket layer, then they, they have a little lock on the, on the symbol, and it shows that it's secure. Now, the nice thing about HTTPS is that you've got an encrypted data stream between your browser and the website. So if somebody intercepts your packets, they can't really sniff out your passwords, your credit card numbers. It's, it's, it's secure between the website and your, and, and your, um, and your browser. And so this, and that's the secure socket layer encryption, which is, which is pretty good. Now, if you don't have a secure socket layer encryption, it means you've got unencrypted data going, going right from your, from your browser to the website. And if you're on, say, a Wi-Fi hotspot, it's possible for somebody to actually redirect your, your request to another website, like to a fake website, and then you put in your username and password, and they steal your username and password. And so you could easily be hijacked. For that reason, because there's, it's so dangerous to operate with unsecured um, communication on a, wifi, on a public Wi-Fi hotspot, whenever I travel and I'm using uh, public hotspots, I set up my VPN, my virtual private network, and, um, and and my VPN then automatically sets up an encrypted data stream. So it doesn't matter whether I'm using HTTPS or not. My data is always protected and somebody can't hijack the website. We got an email from Chris in Atlanta. Dear Doc and Jim, I like to sign up for newsletters from many organizations, but now I'm getting lots of spam. Is there any way I can tell... Who's sharing my email account so that I can stop using them in the future? Enjoy the podcast, Chris in Atlanta. Well, you can easily set up a Gmail account to track different things. The, the nice thing about a Gmail account, it ignores the plus sign in the address field. So you, you might have first name, last name, at gmail.com. So after your first name, last name, and before the at Gmail, you put a plus, and then anything after the plus and before the ampersand is just ignored by Gmail. So you could put... You could put like so. You could put say Rick Shirts plus newsletter ABC newsletter at gmail dot com. And so if ABC newsletter shares your email address, it will actually show up because it will come to you with Rick Shirts plus ABC newsletter at gmail dot com. And you can set up a um, a folder and a label. And all of the spam from each of those different sources can go into its own separate folder. That way you can identify who are the nasty people. You can all, it's also easy <laughs> then to put all of that unwanted spam into a folder so you don't, you don't have to look at it. You could also set up a rule where any, any email that comes from that particular email address you just immediately delete. So Gmail's got that set up very nicely. Just remember the, anything after the plus sign and before the ampersand is just ignored by Gmail, but you can use it for tracking your email. That was a very good question. By the way, Gmail also doesn't care about the period. They ignore the period before the ampersand. So I could have richardshirts at gmail.com, or I could have richard.shirts at gmail.com, and it would be the same. Uh-huh. We got an email from John in the Eastern Shore. Dear Tech Talk, 
I have a home network with three computers, two desktops connected to Ethernet cables. Uh, the wireless router, wireless signal is encrypted because uh, I've got a password. I'm using WPA2. Now, I gave my net, my next-door neighbor my network key so they can log on and use my Internet to, you know, to check for email and do their banking. They're not on my home network, but can they still see what I'm doing or where I'm surfing? I'm this a little bit worried about them. Sounds dangerous. Yeah, John at Easter, sir. Well, John? His neighbor's names are Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, it's, well, it's good that, you, that your wireless access point is encrypted. That's always nice. You're, you know, you're encrypting it so people who don't have the password key cannot see what's going on in your network. But, of course, you gave your neighbors the network key. So for them, none of your network traffic is encrypted because they can see it all if they want to. They can just they can just have a they can just put a network sniffer up there and they can just sniff all those packets and see what's going on and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, there's another problem too. If your neighbors go to some site that is really illegal, say a kitty say a kitty porn site, for yeah. instance, that's going to be traced back to your IP address, and the police are going to show up at your door. So you you really want to only share your internet connection with people who you trust. Now, what I would recommend, now, uh, a lot of people are doing this because they're trying to beat the cable company, and they figure, okay, they're charging so much for Internet, I've got all this bandwidth, let's have a few neighbors, you know, join together. What you could do, you could you could set up a second router. You could plug in a second router into the Ethernet port of your router, and then you could share the Wi-Fi connection to that second router with your neighbor. Then that way, you are behind the firewall of your second router, so your neighbor can't see anything, and so that protects you. Oh, there's one third thing that I forgot to mention that is a problem if they're actually on your network. If they go out and get infected by some sort of malware on their computer, the first thing that computers do, they look at the local area network, and they spread their mischievous software to all the computers in the local area network. So you are vulnerable to them if they're on your same segment, and they would be if you just share your uh, share your password. So if you don't set up a second router so you're behind a, a firewall with them, then I would suggest you definitely in, make certain that the firewalls on each of your computers are turned on. So you've got a, it, the firewall in the router, which is to the outside world, and then you've got the firewall on each of your computers that protects you from your neighbor. Now, some routers, uh, the more recent routers, have actually two, two systems. They, they set up a guest account, and the guest account is actually behind a firewall so that you are so that the home account is protected from the guest account. So it could be that your your router if it's more than one of the more recent routers has that. So anyway, just be careful and be mindful. Oh, one final thing I need to tell you. <laughs> you could be violating the terms of service of your ISP. Now it's unlikely that they're going to detect it, but if they did, they could penalize you. So I went just to, you know, because I'm trying to be give proper legal advice here. I went and looked up the terms of service on my Verizon FiOS just to see what it said. And this is, I, I just it took out a couple of sentences. Except as otherwise set forth in this agreement, you may not resell, reprovision, or rent the service, either for a fee or without charge, or allow third parties to use the service via wired, wireless, or other means. Violation of this section may result in bandwidth restrictions of your service or suspension or termination of your service. That sounds harsh. That sounds harsh. Uh, now, they probably are not going to discover it, 
unless all of a sudden you've shared it with 25 neighbors, you've got 100 devices running on the, on the system, and then they say, you know, something is fishy going on here. We got an email from Lynn in Ohio. Dear Tech Talk, I'm creating my own company to sell party supplies over the web. Uh-oh. Well, well yeah, I'm not surprised. Party <laughs> no. supplies over the web. I don't know anything about websites. About five months ago, I hired a web developer and marketer to create our site and to handle the search engine optimization. Now, he created it in Drupal and it began, oper- and it began operating. However, the site's never been fully functional. We tried to get another developer. Every one of them explained that this guy overcharged us, underdelivers, damaged our Internet footprint. Now we're trying to work with another company going forward. He created a, a bunch of interconnected sites. It's unclear who owns what domains and who doesn't own what domains. He knows that we're moving forward with a different company, and he's threatening either to hold our site's ransom or to arbitrarily shut them down unless we pay him hosting fees. Love the show, Lynn, in Ohio. Well, if you own the domains and have the source code to your website, it's not a problem. Just hire another developer and move your sites to another hosting company and continue with the development as, as if nothing happened. It won't take much more time much time to do that now if the rogue developer owns your domains that's a lot harder because he can just turn them off anytime you'll need help from the dom- from a domain name lawyer to get them back so if you've trademarked the name you may be able to get it back but you're going to have to go to court to get it back and the results are not guaranteed because domain names are not necessarily protected by the trademark so so the first step would be to get your domain names back. Now, you might be able to create a variation on the domain name uh, and just, you know, and just create a new domain name if you can't, if you can't get it back because it could be quite expensive to try to go through the legal challenges to get it back. Then if, if you don't have the source code, that's not really a big problem. You can hire a developer, and he'll download all the HTML and the cascading style sheet data from your existing websites. He can download the code. He can make a new Drupal or WordPress template and move the content. Uh, it'll take, you know, it'll take a while for him to do that, but you can certainly move on and get this thing, get this thing done. But the main thing is your domain names, and I'm telling you, it's always a mistake, always a mistake to let the developer get the domain names. You get the domain names. You control the domain names. You have the passwords, and then you then simply let them upload to your domain names that you control. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning, and this is Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2 in the nation's capital. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Learn more about Stratford University and Tech Talk Radio by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Steve Coast. Steve Coast is best known as founder of OpenStreetMaps a community-based world mapping project, and CloudMade, a a geography-related company. He was born December 20th, 1980, in the United Kingdom, and he was raised in Walter Slade in London. In the summer of 1999, and this was before he started college, he interned at Wolfram Research. Uh, he He was obviously a... Pretty smart guy to get a job there. He went to, he interned there in, uh, in Chicago and he built polyhedra models in Mathematica. Wolfram Research is, you know, has, they've developed some great products and uh, it's really tough to get an intern job there. In 1999, he went back to, uh, to London and he enrolled in the University College London, UCL, and he majored in computer, in computer science, but then he just continued to work. And while he was still in school, he, he applied for a job with X-Refer, X-Refer, and he was hired as a software engineer, and he built a graph, he built graph layout algorithms that helped visualize connections between large-scale reference works, like between two encyclopedias. He would show all the links between them, and uh, graphically. It was sort of like a knowledge map he was creating that was done automatically. In 2004... He founded Open Street Maps Foundation. He was tired of not having access to publicly available maps. There are a lot of proprietary maps, you mm-hmm. know, in the navigation systems of the car. Uh, there are a lot of, but they're all closed, and they're always out of date because you've yeah. got to wait for the next upgrade. And there just was not any available open source mapping. And he felt that maps could be done just like Wikipedia, where you have Wikipedia, where they start out with a blank sheet of paper, and before long you had a whole encyclopedia that had been crowdsourced. And so he thought that he could create something like a Wikipedia, only it would be Wikipedia for maps. Aren't there some inherent problems with that, though? Well, it's pretty good. Well, Wikipedia has been known for having some... I mean, so how is, if it's crowdsourced, how, how is it verified? Well, now I've done some tests on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. So I've gone in uh, and, I've, and I've changed things that I knew were incorrect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I created a, you know, sort of a, a fake account because I was curious how long it would take. And, and those errors were corrected within minutes, within minutes. Because what happens is different people kind of own a page, and they love it. And so they they are very knowledgeable about that page. And Wikipedia handles that sort of getting rid of that kind of inaccuracy. In fact, they've, they've done studies where, you know, the inaccuracies in, say, encyclopedia, in 
Encyclopedia Britannica were not so different than inaccuracies in Wikipedia. Interesting. Now, the difference where Wikipedia can handle it is if it is like a um, like like a big religious debate, or yeah. or it's like where, where where all of a sudden you've got massive disagreements. So somebody, so one group comes in and they just delete everything that somebody else says and they <laughs> put in something else, and you get these these wars over ideology. Wikipedia has trouble dealing with that, and so whenever there's a war over ideology like that, the editors come in and freeze the page, and then before the page can be changed, you have to go through an editorial board that will approve the changes, okay. and, that, and that's how they mitigate those kind of flameouts. Okay. And that's the one thing that Wikipedia does have trouble with, these flameouts. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so, you know, I would think, like, for instance, I would suspect, I haven't looked, I would suspect that if you go to the to the Wikipedia page on Donald Trump, there's going to be a big flame out I'm there. I'm sure you're right. And they're going to go back and forth and back, and I'm quite certain that that page is going to be controlled by the central editing board. Mm-hmm. I, now, I'm is that sure something that they added at some point because they were having a problem with yeah. these flameouts? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, well, they, they always had editors that would come in and try to suggest how to, how to make it better. And then they had, but then they they had to raise the level of authority of these editors to handle the flameouts. So anyway, he decided. Getting back to sorry Steve about that. Post, that's okay. <laughs> he decided he wanted to use the Wikipedia model for maps. So he created the OpenStreetMap Foundation. He wrote all of the early software because this was 2004. This was before the the iPhone had ever been released. People didn't have GPS data. There was no satellite imaging, imagery available on the web. And if you wanted to do GPS traces, you'd have to get a GPS detector, plug it into your laptop, have, you know, bat, you know power up your laptop and, and ride around with a bicycle to get GPS. So it was, like, quite difficult to do this thing. So he decided he wanted to create this open source. So he wrote all the early software. He gave hundreds of talks to try to convince people to do this with him. He ran huge mailing lists. He even maintained the server infrastructure. He did the initial mapping in London. He drove all around London on his bike with a, with his laptop and his GPS detector in the in the in his backpack, and he just started mapping the streets and using his software. Then. In order to get more people involved, he hosted mapping parties. So what <laughs> that sounds did, like a great time. So like, so like he went down, like one weekend they went to the Isle of Wight, which is like, you know, it's like 10 miles wide and maybe 20 miles long. I mean, it's a pretty big space. A bunch of people showed up there, and in one weekend they mapped the entire Isle of Wight. Everybody was just going around driving with their wow. GPS. They, they put the thing in. So, so then he started getting these mapping parties. And then what happened was people decided they wanted – accurate maps where they lived. So then people started mapping their little own communities. Um, I mean, and so you got more and more and more data. And I was watching how this thing was built. Within like five years, you could see this enormous growth over the entire world. So there there was a problem that the sort of the commercial maps may not have maps, say, for um, Africa, for instance. Okay. Or there were not really commercial maps for uh, Cuba, actually. Yet, with the open source, he very quickly mapped Cuba. They started mapping Africa. So this became sort of a global mapping system, and he did create critical mass, so it became like Wikipedia. Now he's got 1.6 million active users. So he was very instrumental in like the first three or four iterations of the software, but now he's handed off the foundation 
to others to run, and now it's user-driven maps. And if you go to OpenStreetMap.org, you can just go. You can go deeper and deeper. He's got people in this mapping. They're actually putting in actual tree locations, and they're saying what kind of tree it is and how old the tree is. Somebody needs a life. It's as much data as you want. People are putting in the shapes of the buildings. It's really quite interesting. As you zoom in, you just you can go anywhere and just zoom in. It's quite impressive. Now the question is. Now, he was still in, in college, remember? <laughs> he started this in 2004. He finally graduated from college in 2005. He switched majors, by the way. He graduated with a B.S. in physics. So he's not all that bad. So he, re, he got a B.S. in physics from University of College in London, and he actually almost dropped out because he got so busy with all this other stuff. So then he's decided, all right, I'm not making any money on this uh, on this mapping project. It's a foundation. It's a nonprofit. So he he decided he better he better uh, you know start a business so he can make some money. So he and three friends started a consultancy. They called it the ZXV Consultancy. ZXV Consultancy. And I don't have a clue what the where the ZXV stands for. And so they they were just doing general consulting, and they were trying to actually what they were trying to do was take the open source mapping database and apply it to other applications so they could make money using using this open source map data that was now available. But they really weren't that successful. So he ended up, he said, we need funding, because they were there in London. We need funding. So he moved to the U.S. And where do you go for venture, for VC funding? San Francisco. So he moved to ah. San Francisco, and they... They pivoted the company from ZXV. They called it CloudMade. And CloudMade was an attempt to create something like Red Hat only for open source maps. If you remember in the Linux operating system, which was open source, somebody took the Linux open source platform and they created a commercial product, Red Hat. So Red Hat made money using the Linux kernel. So he wanted to make money on the open source maps in the same way that Red Hat made money on Linux, which was which was actually also open source. So they created this. They, they managed to raise a fair amount of money there in Silicon Valley, and um, they raised it from uh, Sunshine Capital and uh, guy by the name Nikolai Nyholm. They got money there. They started building things, but. But really, they, 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 they never really captured the market. It never really took off. They, they built a platform for software developers to build geo-enabled applications using OpenStreetMaps. That was the idea. So, you know, somebody who wanted to make a navigation system, they, they had a platform they could use a navigation system to, they could use their platform to build the navigation system. Well, he, he only stayed with them a couple of years. Then he resigned from CloudMade in October of 2010, and his co-founder there, Stayed on with stayed on as CEO and chief technology officer. Although uh, although Steve remained a shareholder. Now actually, since that time, CloudMate has pivoted twice in order to uh, in order to make money. And um, they they first pivoted to location based in game advertising, and now more recently they've pivoted to the connected car market. You know the autonomous car market, trying to create maps for it. Now in 2011. Uh, Steve Coast was hired by Microsoft as a principal architect, and he wrote software for Bing Maps using open map data, which, of course, that's what he loved to do. 
He stayed there a couple of years, and then he moved to Telenav. And at Telenav, he was head of the Open Source Mapping Project. He helped to find product direction and community engagement. And the company developed their own turn-by-turn navigation system called Scout. And that was the first consumer-ready turn-by-turn navigation system that used open-source map data. And, of course, they used the OpenStreetMap. In 2015, Coast published the, a book of OSM, the book of OpenStreetMap, and it contained interviews that he conducted with 15 different users who had been participants in the mapping project and why they did it and why they loved doing it. In 2017, Coates was hired as senior manager at Digital Globe. That's a leading provider of high-resolution earth imagery and data. And he's served as an advisor to boatloads of companies that have wanted to use open-source data, ParkNav, ChoreHat, What Three Words, MapJam, Auth, SpaceNo, and NavMy. So all of these are, are there. This guy, I think... I don't think he made that much money out of open street maps, but he really made a huge impact on the availability of open source map data. Okay, so I, uh, I'm, uh, you, are you finished? And you, you can you can look at the open street map. You can go to openstreetmap.org, and you'll see a map of the United States, and you just start going close in, further and further and further, mm-hmm. and you'll just start seeing more and more roads. Well, it's I, I've been doing some homework over here, uh-huh. and I, I searched my neighborhood, and it's pretty funny because I live near Camden Yards. Mm-hmm. You can zoom in, and it shows you where the Jim Palmer statue is at Camden Yards, and where and where Babe Ruth is. But where Jim Palmer is, there's like four other statues, and nobody's bothered to name who those players were. Uh huh. So then I went to Google the address where we are currently located now, mm-hmm. and because it's an underground bunker complex, yes. I will not put that address on the air. Yes. Uh huh. Couldn't find us, and so I typed in the call letters of the radio station. Mm-hmm. Still didn't find us. Now we show up on the map. Mm-hmm. The address, the street address shows up, but it doesn't show the radio station. Doesn't show the radio doesn't station. Show the radio so station. that means that somebody has to the go radio in. station is just not that important to the people that are doing the map. Wow, <laughs> wow! They must be listening to another radio. They must station. be listening to another radio station. Yes. Finally, back to my neighborhood. Uh, there's a building next to me. It has a restaurant in it, mm-hmm. and you know, like you said, you could pinpoint stuff. Somebody has put the restaurant on the wrong side of the building. So now what you can do, see, you can go in and you can edit that and you can move the restaurant correctly. See, anybody can go in. It's an open source. It's very easy for you if you'd want to edit that. I'll have to do that because it's driving me nuts. So you you could go in and you you could become an open source map contributor. Is there there, there a a finder's fee? No, it's just... You get nothing nothing for it except the satisfaction of making the world a better place. (laughs) Okay, great. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2. Watch us do the show live by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Good morning, happy Easter weekend, and thank you for joining us here on Tech Talk Radio this Saturday morning. We were just talking about Steve Post. He is known as the founder of the OpenStreetMap community-based world mapping project, which is basically Wikipedia for maps. When he first started his crowdsourced mapping initiative, he was working by himself. Today's pop quiz question, what was his process when he first started mapping? How did he do it? Excellent question, Jim. If you know the answer to that question, the only way you can turn it into free food is by giving us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Dialing from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're painting Easter eggs in Canada, call us on the wild card line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else, may call us on the wild card line, 877-9-3639. First caller with the correct answer wins tickets for two for fine dining at any of the Stratford dining halls in the Washington area. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your calls. So, dial now. The old smart vacuum has been hacked. You know, all of these all these webcams and things in your house, they don't all necessarily have great security interfaces, so you've got to be careful of this. Well, two researchers with an inter- enterprise security firm, Positive Technology, discovered vul- vulnerabilities in the Donegan 360 line of robotic vacuum cleaners. Now, these are all manufactured in China. They're all manufactured by Dike, D-I-Q-E-E. Never heard of them. Never heard of them. They're equipped with Wi-Fi, 360-degree camera, known for dynamic monitoring. And they discovered that there's a remote code vulnerability that can give that can give an an attacker access to the give you access to the device. The vulnerability is contained in a particular request function, 
And it uses an authentication, but there's just a default username and password combo that's built into the system. It's just admin, and then the password is like six eights. And so it's relatively easy to crack into this. Now, once you get into this particular device, you can actually look at the video, see what's going on. You can actually control the device. And so this was one example where you could hack one of these Wi-Fi cameras, and they believe that all the devices made by this particular company have the same particular vulnerability. And all of a sudden, the dog's missing. That's right. So (laughs) so you've got to really be careful with all of these webcams, and uh, and there are uh, and so some of them have better security than others. So just be mindful of which ones you put into your house. Is there any way for you to change the? Well, I guess there is, since it's a Wi-Fi. You could go in and change it. You you could change this, but this this has a direct interface to the web. The the more secure webcams actually have cloud. They actually transfer the images to the cloud, and there's an encrypted data stream between the webcam and the cloud account. And individuals just can't look at what's on the website. So those these cloud-enabled webcams are a little bit more secure. I talked about those in a, on a previous show. Women's pockets are too small for cell phones. <laughs> now you know I, I've heard you know I've heard women complaining about it, and I figured well it's just talk, you know that's just talk. But it's crazy. The talk. pudding, the pudding took data. Now what they did, they they took data on jeans. So they took 80 pair of jeans. And they all had a 32-inch waistband, so they were all the same size. Okay. And then they measured the pockets, and they had 40 were men's jeans, 40 were women's jeans. And they took all different brands, and they measured the pockets. And this was the actual data. They found out that the pockets on women's jeans are 48% shorter than on men's jeans. 40, That's 48%. 48% shorter. And they're 6.5% narrower than men's. Wow. The site said that only 40% of the women's front pockets can fit an iPhone X. Only 40% can fit an iPhone X. And only 20% will fit a, a Samsung Gallery. And only 5% will fit a Google Pixel. On the other hand, an iPhone X went to 100% of the men's pockets. A, a, a Samsung Gallery went into 95% of the men's pockets. And a Google Pixel went into 85% of the men's pockets. So... It is true. Women's pockets, for some reason, are just smaller. Well, they're smaller to begin with. No, but it was the same size jean. It was like a 32. You oh, know. I see what you, you mean. See, yes. that's why I said the waist was the same. The same size waist, the same waist. So, And they actually were smaller pockets. I think I, this is truly a major problem for humanity to have to This is a big out. problem. So yeah. this is actual data. So instead of, so now I will accept those complaints. Now, when, these are, you're talking front pockets, right? Yeah. Okay. I have seen, and that, I guess that's why I see so many women sticking their phone in their back pocket. Yeah. Which then, is a really bad idea. It's, it's bad. That's, because that, that, it's, they're not made of iron. It's no. very bendable metal. It is. Is, is it aluminum they're made out of? Yeah, and, the, and and you'll bend it. If you sit on it, you'll bend it. So there you go. That's. But I thought I thought the women would like to have the actual data so they could make a case here. There's an emergency SOS feature on your iPhone. I, I didn't know this. I sort of got this thing. This and I sort of got, was wondering about that. You remember Molly Tidbits? She was killed by that yeah. one guy. Mm-hmm. And it said she said I'm going to call 911 if you don't bother me. Well, the thing is, if you have to call 911, it takes a while to do that. It turns out the iPhone has a feature in it where you can just press the 
press the um, the the power on button five times, it'll automatically dial nine one one. Really? And it will send to the nine one one call your 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 GPS location. It will also automatically call a backup phone number of somebody who you have designated and send them your GPS information. So this so this IP owned I, SOS feature I didn't know about it, and no. so. So I, I went back. I it, it I actually went back and in, and installed it. So it in the oh, case. Oh, you have to install it. No, you don't install. It, you have to turn it on. Oh, okay. So you so uh, in the if so what you do you just press the power button on your iPhone five times and then there will be an SOS slide bar that should just slide over the SOS bar and then you will have and it will make your nine one one call within about five seconds. Um, or you can you can hold the depending on the version of iOS you can hold the power button down and one of the volume keys continuously and it will dial nine one one. It depends on the version. Mm-hmm. It's supported in iPhone X eight eight eight. So if you want to set it up, simply go to settings slash emergency SOS and select auto call. And you'll, and you'll, it'll be set up for you. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday morning on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2, on the web at stratford.edu and federalnewsnetwork.com. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a 
cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. This is Tech Talk Radio. Now let's get to the event of the day. The chemistry of dyeing Easter eggs. Now, people have been dyeing... Dyeing fabrics and for many, many years. In fact, the earliest written records of the use of dye is from thousands of years ago, 2600 B.C. Mm. In, se- in, seven, in, 17, in 715 B.C., the Romans were dyeing wool. People have used all sorts of substances to dye fabric, including purple dye made from sea snails called murex. Now, that dye was very expensive and that's why purple became the color of emperors and kings, because the dye was so expensive. Ah. Now, dyeing Easter eggs is a very old tradition. The Ukraine coloring eggs with wax and dye uh, it goes back since ancient times. Now, in the U.S., we dye eggs using commercial dyes. Food coloring is an acid dye. It's an acid dye. That means it uses hydrogen. And the uh, chemical process only works in an acidic environment. Now, vinegar is added to make it acidic. Vinegar is acidic. It contains about 3% acidic acid. When you add vinegar to water, it creates an ideal condition for food coloring. Now, since eggs are made out of calcium carbonite, the calcium in the egg reacts with the acid in the vinegar to make carbon dioxide. So you'll see a a small reaction. So today we've got an experiment. Okay. This is an experiment that you can do with your kids. It's kind of fun. I've got three containers here. I used filtered water. I should have had distilled water because then it's completely neutral. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't have distilled water, so I used filtered. I used, Good enough. I used purified water. So I've got three containers. I've got the first cup has red uh, Easter egg dye in it and only water. The second cup has water plus dye plus one teaspoon of vinegar okay the third cup has water dye and two teaspoons of vinegar all right so the question is which of the one is going to give me the darkest color gotcha now assuming assuming that we haven't mixed up the cups because there was well there there was was a little bit of rearranging the furniture here before the show there was some issue about our control location of the cups so we so we're not this 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 we may have to do this again next Easter. It is it is so now I've got the eggs sitting in the dye. Now I'll tell you that now watching eggs you know absorb it's dye like, on radio is really not exciting. So if radio. you're watching us on Periscope, by the way, you can download your Periscope app to your device and follow us at WFED Tech Talk, and you can look at the bottom right of the screen and you can see well two of the three cups, <laughs> and so we're gonna let them. How long are you gonna let them soak for? That's right. I'm going to let them soak for a couple of minutes. Okay. So as, as they're soaking, let's talk about the Apple iOS 3.11.3. Right. Okay. Because, you know, sitting here watching them soak is just really bad It's radio. riveting, it's, and if we just sat here and watched, radio. there would be no audio. Yeah, and I'm not certain I put enough dye in there. You know, I, it's, I, I, it's pretty light, although I, we, I could, a, we could do something like this. We could just play this for two minutes. Oh, yeah. 
I think I may not have put enough dye in these, but it's going to be... Well, this just means we have to do this thing again next we may, year. We may have to do it again next year. Well, this Let's, is coming along. Well, yeah, we're just checking them now. I, I, don't, think I, I don't think I put enough dye in the water. Did. I don't think I put enough dye in the water. Why don't you do this? Why don't you put ten more drops of dye? I think I'm going to put, you a, put a lot of... I did eggs yesterday, mm-hmm. and, I, and it, it called for one and a half cups of boiling water, one tablespoon of vinegar... And ten to twenty tr- drops of dye. Oh, I only put in three drops of oh, dye. Oh, you see, there's, there's, see, this we, we're gonna have to do this again next okay. year. This is already screwed up. It is. Um, okay, I'm gonna. Okay, put, just I'm, go ahead and put. Is that you're using yellow now? Am I? Yeah, because the cap's yellow. Oh, I'm using yellow now. Just, just go with the yellow. So I'm using. Put, so this, this is gonna give us red and yellow is gonna give us orange. orange. Well, I'm, I'm gonna go back to and red. And put some now. more red too. I'm gonna go back a, to red. I, I have totally uh, destroyed this, this entire. This is not scientific. No, in this, any way, this shape, is, or form. This is now. Re, re, this is now. I'm, and I'm, we are rapidly running out of time. There we go. Okay. Okay. okay there oh, we go. you know what? You're just mashing it in there. There we, we go. We have no idea how many. This is not. Five not, drops. Five drops. I did. That's five drops. My left foot. <laughs> Now. Just squeezed it. <laughs> now we All right, now, now, okay. Oh this, this is oh not going to oh, be pretty. Oh my All right, you've got about a minute and a half to figure okay, this let's, out. Okay, let's talk about, okay, I'm going to work on, let's talk about free online credit reports. Yes. This is sort of interesting. Now, the U.S. law allows you to get. <laughs> He's got <laughs> dial over his hands now. <laughs> Oh My brother! It allows you to get. Oh, this is not. It allows good. you to get a free credit report directly from any agency once a year without paying for it. And there are multiple agencies that report it. The big three are an Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. Now, one of the best free what um, credit report sites is oh. Here Andrew we Mitchell go. to the save today with more oh, yeah. good paper towels. There we go. Credit Karma. Credit Karma gives you free data from both Equifax and TransUnion. And as I've got Credit Karma on my phone. It's really good. You can use it. It doesn't lower your site, but it doesn't have Experian. If you want to get Experian, you've got to go to Free Credit Score. That's another app that's actually an Experian app, and you can get the Experian uh, data. And that's free. And I actually, I like the Credit Karma. You just mm-hmm. check it. It's very easy to go. Now, All right, let's see what we got going on now here. Now we're going to see here. Okay. Oh, oh my God. These are a mess. These are. This is a mess. It's There, there is no discernible difference <laughs> in any of these eggs. Hold on. The one without vinegar, it's not sticking. It's, Look, yes, it's not sticking The at one all. with no vinegar is definitely not working. Well, we've, we've determined that. The one, the one with... Uh, with the the, uh, the one no. with the one with one teaspoon of vinegar, well, two, they look very similar. So. We presume, but with the one with no vinegar, is not working at all. Seeing as how I moved the cups, we're presuming one in the two <laughs> teaspoons of vinegar, and we don't really know. We don't really, re, know, we don't, for re, we don't really don't know for put sure. Put any more dye in there. This is a disaster. Yeah, this, this is. is I, you know what? We have to do this again next year I'm, because this is complete. And utter and I'm gonna I'm gonna mess. I'm gonna have to just try to get this. Uh, so what what you won't be able to see on the radio or on Periscope <laughs> is what happens after the show is over and somebody has to clean all of this mess up. I and know. speaking of that, I think we probably should just go ahead and end the show. I think so. Listen, we love your emails. You can email us techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you immediately. Or you know, we may wait till the next show and cover your email on that show. Also, we want you to check out the Stratford University programs, health science, software engineering, accounting, business, hospitality, nursing, culinary arts. 
at stratford.edu and let them know that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.